Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. Today we're going to be traveling to Greenville to speak to Mayor Knox White about a book that he co-authored with John Boyanowski entitled Reimagining Greenville, Building the Best Downtown in America. Now, if you think that the title is just Chamber of Commerce hyperbole, Folks, I want to tell you that the work that has gone on in downtown Greenville in the last 20 years has been recognized not just in this country, but internationally. I'll have a conversation with Mayor Knox White, but first, your NPR news break. This episode of Walter Edgar's Journal is an encore of a previously broadcast program. Production of today's episode of Walter Edgar's Journal was made possible in part by a grant from the Jolly Foundation. Welcome to Walter Edgar's Journal. We're on the road in Greenville, and I'm in the office of Mayor Knox White. And we're going to talk about the redevelopment of downtown Greenville and also about a book that he has co-authored called Reimagining Greenville, which he co-authored with John Boyanowski. So, first of all, Mr. Mayor, welcome to the Journal. Yeah, and welcome to the Mayor's office in Greenville City Hall. Well, it's a great view from It's a here. great office. It is yeah, a great view. Perfect, perfect yeah. view of, of Main Street. And before we started rolling, I had mentioned to you one of the chapters opens up, and you're talking about the redevelopment of the Poinsett Hotel, the great mm-hmm. old historic hotel downtown. It was an eyesore that blocked your view west. It had a lot of activity when it was still abandoned, right? Yeah, just across from the from the 10th floor office of the mayor's office in City Hall, you can see the Poinsett Hotel, and uh, you, you can almost reach out the window and touch it. It's so close. Uh, and, and the Poinsett Hotel, when I came in as mayor, was closed. It had been closed for, gosh, about 20 years, uh, abandoned. It's kind of hard to imagine this now, but we had this large, wonderful, historic building, uh, abandoned building right on Main Street, uh, right next to City Hall. But there it was. And, uh, yeah, I used to look over there and see some... Uh, a lot of sort of uh, questionable activity going on in that building at that time. <laughs> a lot of people hanging out. Well, you know, abandoned buildings, you get vagrants, you get kids are having yeah. a party. Um, we had it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it clearly, the point said, is quite different now, totally restored, and yeah. uh, you can even get spoon bread there again. That's right. It really was a, it was a priority back in 1997 or so to um, reopen, to see the hotel reopened. I think conventional wisdom was that the Poinsett Hotel, built in 1925, uh, conventional wisdom was it would never be restored. It'd probably be torn down. It's quite remarkable that it wasn't torn down at some point in its history. But a lot of things finally came together to bring back the Poinsett Hotel. And if you kind of look down on our main street, you can see that um, it's several blocks away from the Hyatt, which was the first part of downtown Greenville's redevelopment. But it's... um, the development sort of stayed around the Hyatt for almost 20 years. The point set by reopening it brought redevelopment down Main Street. It really set loose the redevelopment we see in today's downtown Greenville leading up eventually to the river being redeveloped as well. So it was really an extremely important redevelopment at its time. The whole redevelopment of, of downtown Greenville is is quite a story. When people think of revitalized cities, of course, they first of all think of, of Charleston. But the recognition that Greenville and you as mayor have received for what has happened is pretty important. Oprah, Southern Living, Harvard Business Review. I can remember coming to Greenville in the 1960s when I was at Davidson visiting folks here, Sunday buffet at the Poinsett and getting spoon bread. Mm -hmm. But downtown Greenville was pretty dead in the 1960s. Yeah, well, that's still the era where you had, I guess at that time, you still had some big department stores hanging on, if you will. They all eventually are gone by the 70s. It really reached its lowest point, I think, in in the mid-70s. But that's a story that's very, very typical of American downtowns, Um, the department stores leaving for the malls and that kind of thing. And we went through that same cycle. And everybody was looking for a gimmick to revitalize downtown. Yeah, yeah. Columbia went up with the five alien planets, as we used to call them, until <laughs> Kirk Finley took down the I remember that, the poles down the, the, the middle poles Main down Street. The middle yeah, of Main Street. Poles, you couldn't, yeah. When they were uh, lit at night, you could not see dumb. the state capitol. It, 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 it obscured the dome. <laughs> and, uh, and, a lot of, and a lot of cities in North Carolina and South Carolina uh, turned their Main Streets into pedestrian malls because the idea was, well, if the malls are doing well, let's make our downtown look like a mall. 
and then they, they closed off the streets and that really killed the main streets in several cities in South Carolina and in North Carolina. I was in a city not long ago that went an extra step. It was a South Carolina city. They not only put in a mall of their main street back in the 70s, they put a roof on top. So they, they really tur- tried to turn their main street into a mall. And, and th- those things didn't work. No. And I can remember reading uh, a talk by the late Charles Daniel. Uh, he spoke to several civic groups. And he basically, it was a, a sermon on come on, fellow Greenvillians, we've got to get our act together. The city mm-hmm. downtown is dirty. They're not enough business. They're not people. And he was one of the early folks who said, we've really got to do something. And he planted a, a, his own built Daniel Construction Company, the predecessor to Floor, um, built a 25-story office tower in Main Street, on Main Street, uh, and that opened about ni- around 1965. It's still there today, of course, um, but that was his, his way of saying, you know, downtown's still important. Mm-hmm. And so even when downtown went went uh, downhill, if you will, and closed up, uh, that building was standing there as kind of a, an encouragement, if you will, that uh, downtown still is important and Greenville shouldn't turn its back on it. And, and the good story about Greenville is we, we did, and there were always efforts being made to bring it back again. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, again, like other cities, Greenville thought progress is the word and a number of old structures on Main Street, the old county mm-hmm. courthouse, some other historic structures went down. Mm-hmm. but. Particularly during the 1990s, and once you became mayor, that turned around. You know, we we think uh, in, in looking at the situation in 1997, we had some good things going. We had the beautiful trees on Main Street. We had the Hyatt. And we had the Peace Center, which is very important at its time too. But still, basically, people didn't go downtown, and there was very little activity. You had more boarded up buildings than not. Uh, so we set about a very intentional plan to do certain things. Uh, we had very good advice. I want to quickly add from around the country on what to do. Good good consultants and such. Uh, but basically, it's it centered on a couple things. One was to really focus on mixed use, that is, uh, making sure we had a good mixture of office, retail, and residential. And at that time, that meant a focus in the late 90s on residential downtown to do everything we could to bring residential to downtown Greenville. And that was the number one focus. And we were we had some early successes that beget others. And, and now we have a lot of residential in downtown Greenville, of course. Um, but we also did something else. We um, focused on, besides the bigger projects, um, what we call the personality of the main street that is just filling the downtown with things that make it interesting and even fun to be in and this were these were early efforts on our parts uh, keeping downtown safe keeping it clean keeping it attractive and and focusing on the walkability of the main street mm-hmm. and so even in the late 90s we started focusing on things like public art we now have a wonderful collection of public art and historic sculptures that tell the story of Greenville as you walk around main street which we think is pretty unique uh, but that all started around 1999 or so and it was all part of building up a personality for the city. And in the meantime, the bigger projects like the, the reopening of the Poinsett Hotel, uh, that was a great catalyst for this entire area of Main Street, a tremendous catalyst that then led us look to the sort of the ultimate in personality, the ultimate in what makes us authentic and unique and different, and that is the river. Let's take a moment and go back to these various outside consultants. So one of the things in, in reading your book is that Greenville, first of all, was not hesitant about hiring outside consultants. And then once you had a plan and a vision and everybody seemed to buy into it, you stuck with it. You didn't put that plan on the shelf and then 10 years later come down with another plan and yeah. reinvent the wheel. Yeah, I took great pride that I kept the uh, the main downtown master plan of 1997. I kept that on my desk 10, 15 years is kind of a constant reminder that this is the plan. We're going to stick to it. We're going to really focus on mixed use. We're really going to focus on historic preservation. We're really going to focus on elements of personality. And then finally on the river itself. Um, it was all in the plan. We stuck to it, and it's, it's, it's shown great success. Let's back up a little bit and pick up the Greenville story, say, going back to the Max Heller administration, when things started to turn around a little bit, then through Bill Workman and then into your administration? Well, the great thing about uh, the era of uh, Max Heller and Charles Daniel and uh, Tommy Weich is that uh, this was in the mid-70s when downtown was truly uh, devastated. And that was in the midst of that devastation to do any kind of investment in downtown was counter to popular wisdom, if you will. Uh, But they persevered. And the great accomplishment there was the public-private partnership 
idea with the Hyatt Hotel that the city would participate with a private party to bring a great hotel to downtown Greenville at a time when things like that weren't happening. And the narrowing of Main Street from four lanes to two, mm-hmm. which again was something that you can see that kind of thing around the country today, but back in 1977 and such, that, that was not happening. That, there was no such term as streetscaping and all these urban design ideas we have now. And so they really were ahead of their time, but they created a, uh, the infrastructure for a pedestrian-oriented Main Street, mm-hmm. radically different from what downtown Greenville had been in its previous history. Yeah, very wide sidewalks, for example. Wide sidewalks, nice big trees. It didn't start out that way. It started out with wide sidewalks and little skinny trees and, <laughs> and vacant buildings <laughs> up and down the several blocks. It would still take a long time to fill it in. And again, even then, uh, for the next 20 years or so, development tended to kind of stick around the one or two blocks of Main Street. The area down here by, by City Hall and certainly in the river was was simply still a no-go zone. People didn't go there. It wasn't redeveloped. It was kind of a scary place. You mentioned the Peace Center, which was a, an important part of mm-hmm the transformation. Let's talk about how that came about. And that would be, from a development standpoint, it would be a real anomaly. The Peace Center was not near the Hyatt on where development was happening. It was way down the street in an area mainly abandoned uh, near the river that nobody went to. And, and, the, and we're but, talking about the Reedy River, folks. The Reedy River through our city. At this time, in the really until about the year 2000, people hardly realized we had a river. So um, the Peace Center was placed where it is along the river. Uh, kind of an anchor development for the other side of Main Street. It was the Peace family. It was the major donor family for the Arts Center. And the Peace Center is located across the street from the newspaper, which the Peace family were the owners. So it was placed down there on purpose to be across from the newspaper where the Peace family had its connections. Um, but from a development standpoint for downtown Greenville, it, it, it kind of remained an anomaly for a long time until we brought development down with the Poinsett Hotel. It's almost like you de- would develop an old-fashioned shopping center. You've got to have some major anchors. And, right, yeah. You know, you've, Anchor got, developments. you've got the Hyatt mm-hmm. public-private partnership, and then you've got the Peace Center way down the, the road. The other end. And eventually— Yeah, eventually we would—Falls uh, Park in the center of it all and the baseball stadium at the very tip end, always called our mixed-use uh, minor league baseball stadium. I always refer to it as the exclamation point on the on Main Street because it's kind of—it literally is the end of the line. It's the last block of Main Street, <clears throat> but it's the ultimate anchor for that side of town. So we do have great anchors in place up and down the spine of Main Street from a development standpoint, and then we've been filling in between these major developments all these years and, again, keeping it a very walkable experience um, I always tell people, well, you, you come to town, and you'll see these wonderful big developments, the Peace Center for the Performing Arts, the Hyatt, the Poinsett, the Park, and those are stories in themselves. They're all major attractions, but it's also what happens as you walk along Main Street between the big projects that probably still is what, what the magic of downtown Greenville is all about. It's the, it's the walkability, it's the public art, it's the fountains, it's the atmosphere that's created between these major projects. Well, you, you mentioned the, the large stores and the, the shopping centers, and those have moved out on Pleasantburg Road. I mean, they're, they're out from downtown. Mm-hmm. But yet you were able to attract many small businesses downtown, and these are shops where people go in. I mean, yeah. it's, it's almost European, certainly 19th century downtown Main we, Street. We get that comment a lot. Of course, we have a lot of foreign investment here. So a lot of Germans, a lot of French, a lot of people from all over the world in Greenville. You always, always, always hear foreign languages when you're in downtown Greenville in restaurants and shops and all. And what they say, uh, not us, what they say is that, you know, Greenville has a remarkable European flavor to it as you walk along the street and uh, that's quite a compliment especially coming from folks who should know so that's that's a good thing but we didn't get the the, the retail the restaurants which we're so famous for now lots up and down the street up and down know. main street okay yeah. in the vicinity it's just amazing and the retail is very very strong now but it, but the first push we had to to really emphasize was residential i mean we, back in the end of the 90s early 2000 uh, getting people to live here again by hook and crook. We used a number of successful strategies to to land some major residential developments. And now today, downtown Greenville is full of condominiums, apartments, housing. Every People are building them left and right. But those provided the foundation for the retail returning. And so the, really the big story today is that we've accomplished what we needed to do on residential development. We certainly have a restaurant and entertainment scene mm-hmm. going up and down that makes the place so much fun to, to visit. Uh, but now in 2013, uh, we're seeing the return, after all these decades, the return of real retail to downtown Greenville in big numbers with the Brooks Brothers, Anthropology, 
in mass stored. There's so many other stores up and down Main Street. I know, Mr. Mayor, for a number of years, most South Carolina cities certainly from the early 1900s on as they've improved, used to zone out living above stores on on Main Street. I imagine part of what you had to do was to help revamp the laws and ordinances of the city. That was one of the fundamentals uh, many years ago, to provide for true mixed use, because the the goal actually is to do exactly what you just said some people don't want to do, which we want to mix the uses. We want to put office, residential, retail in close proximity, and that provides the walkability on the street. That means there's, there's people on any given block seven days a week, almost 24 hours a day, there's always people in activity. And that's really, the again, the magic you're trying to create in a, in a successful urban area. There are too many cities, you'll say, they call it Fort X, Y, or Z because, yes, they got all these beautiful skyscrapers, but at 5 o'clock... Everybody's gone. Everybody's yeah. gone. Yeah. There's nobody down. Exactly and, right. And you, don't, and you don't really want to be downtown in, no, that, in down, that kind of atmosphere. Downtown Greenville's alive you know, virtually seven days a week, 24 hours. It's just remarkable. But that's because of the, a, a very intentional effort to create mixed use, not just city downtown-wide, but we, we focus on it block by block. Do we have the right mixture of residential? Do we have the right mixture of office and the right kind of retail? We're very engaged in those kind of details and recruiting business and such. And, and, you know, it wasn't all city by design, though. I don't want to say that because we still had some remarkable individuals who did some counterintuitive things back a, long, a while back, which was buy property and, and, and build residential downtown and live downtown when other people didn't. Today it's very prevalent, but just 10, 15 years ago it was not. So some people started doing that. So it wasn't that you had to go out and recruit a developer to say, come on and help us save this. Well, we started with a few kind of eccentric individuals doing things, and and it was working. And then we went out and recruited the big developers, if you will. But I can honestly tell you, I can remember the early days of trying to recruit downtown residential. We had a meeting right here in my office, in fact, one early one morning to talk about the virtues of housing and residential in downtown. And again, we had a few early successful projects, but some of the major developers were sitting in that breakfast meeting, and one of them fell asleep at the meeting. I remember this day. <laughs> and ironically, that very same developer who fell asleep in the meeting today has successfully developed major you know, residential units all over Main Street. And I constantly remind him that he, he was not an early adopter. And that's been kind of the story. It may not have been that meeting, but in your book, at a meeting, a group, somebody said, I need 40,000 square feet. Where is the cheapest rental in, in Greenville? And folks were thinking about a butler building somewhere on the edge of town. And this guy said, no, there's an abandoned furniture store right on Main Street. Yeah, at one time, yeah. yeah I mean, that's, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah. People, uh, some early people who did it, and they, and they did very well for themselves. They fl- flipped it many, you know, many times over. Uh, but what finally happened was uh, an old church in, in downtown Greenville, 19th century church, sold off its Sunday school wing, if you will, and sold it for residential. And there were about, I don't know, 20 or 30 units in that building. And they had a public auction, and the room was packed, and the prices were astounding. This is about 1999 or so. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything. That got everybody's attention. And then after that, enticing residential downtown became almost easy. But um, it, it took some foresight. We took some city-owned properties that we owned and put them out for bid and, and helped redevelop as long as people would do mixed use. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, we took the garage next to Greenville City Hall, which was directly across from the Performing Arts Center. And uh, used to be a garage, a very ugly parking deck. Uh, we sold off that property to anyone who would build us a mixed-use project. And today you have the Marriott Hotel and the um, it's now office buildings, residence, a, a restaurant rather, and a beautiful green space, which is part of the deal too. We wanted to uh, put green space on there. And I guess the point is we kind of know what we want and go after it. And you can walk across the street and see now that we got exactly what we wanted. A uh, private party bought the land, built a hotel, and gave us the green space we wanted. That is, in the wintertime, an ice skating rink, as you may oh, know. Okay. Beautiful ice skating rink right on Main Street in, in its third or fourth year now, or every third year of operation. Well, when you think about urban development and the way it's going now, urban design, which is pedestrian, people-friendly, mm-hmm. you still got to have places for automobiles. So you've got your parking decks are located off of Main Street. <laughs> that, that's correct. We, we have a good system of parking garages uh, along the spine of Main Street, kind of hidden away. We have one that's totally covered. We actually have two that are totally surrounded by residential condominiums. So they're, they're a little bit hard to see, but they're right there. And these are all you know, 500, 600, 700 car garages. 
and we also have uh, we we do have free parking in downtown Greenville. And people in Greenville are kind of spoiled now, but we have no parking meters in downtown Greenville. None. Um, <laughs> well, how do you keep how do you keep those spaces on Main Street moving? You, they're like an hour or two hour parking, and we have uh, they kind of put a little scratch in your tire, and they know how oh, long hey, they've been hey, there. That's, that's a good old Southern tradition. You got you got that stick with the yeah, chalk on it. You the mark stick. the tire. Yeah. And, yeah, but that is, uh, and there we there we don't listen to the experts. The experts say, "Oh no, you should have." Um, parking meters so people will be given incentive for people to use the garages and that is absolutely true but it's this is more of a philosophical thing for us Uh, we want to be again a friendly inviting place to be so we think having a lot of free parking on main street is a good idea and it serves everybody and i I know as mayor that if you if we ever had a meter meters you'd be quickly addicted to those (laughs) parking revenues and so we don't ever want to go there (laughs) but your parking garages aren't free uh, no, they're not, but they're cheap. Very well, cheap. People, are, it's just people, we can't get people to use them sometimes, but they are uh, inexpensive. They're also extremely, we work really hard to keep them extremely clean, well-lit, and kind of inviting, and uh, we take great pride in that. The one I'm using, it. if there's an event at the Peace Center, I gather I get a discount. Five bucks, and that's it. Yeah. We, there are different seasons in downtown Greenville. you got, again, the office environment during the day with all the restaurants and all and, the, and people on the street. Then, and then you have the entertainment downtown Greenville, which is in the evening, especially on weekends. Well, let's take a brief break from talking about the city and talk about Knox White. You came back to Greenville, and did you— plan to go into politics when you got back here? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I you know I've, I've been in, been involved in government politics all my life. I was when I was a teenager working in political campaigns and I early on was associated with Carol Campbell. Mm-hmm. Um, worked in his uh, very first election which was 1969. He he was 29 years old. Uh, running for state house, and he lost that election. And I, I think I was, well, I was Carol's only campaign worker. <laughs> went around door to door and things like that. Uh, but I stuck with him through all his campaigning career. And then I went to Washington with him uh, to work on his congressional staff when I got out of law school, which was uh, 1979 or so. And then you came back and you ran for council. I did. It wasn't really, that wasn't necessarily my game plan, but I did run for Greenville City Council when I was uh, about. 29, in fact, served for a couple terms, uh, and I discovered something about myself that I didn't know, which is I really enjoyed urban planning, urban design issues. That's I like that a lot more than I do politics, but uh, it comes with the job. Had the opportunity to run for mayor, uh, but I, what I tapped into when I ran for mayor was a, a just a strong sense that in Greenville, at least, there was a strong sense that we were growing very fast along this Interstate 85 corridor, and people in Greenville wanted to send a message to this to the city hall that it was time to kind of be really careful how we grow and that has played out throughout the time i've been mayor um people in the city are just so supportive of the kind of things we do here which is a strong emphasis on planning uh, a real attention to detail we work in the neighborhoods you know trying to make places as good as it can be and trying to learn from other cities that maybe didn't do it so well when you ran for mayor you had a challenge Longtime political associate Bill Workman. Right. I, knew, I knew Bill. I knew his dad. Yeah. Very well. You ran on the the slogan "Neighborhoods First. Yeah. And Bill had some statements that basically progress is fine, and we're going to blue. You know, we'll bulldoze this. We'll bulldoze. <laughs> you know, uh, that's not yeah. a direct quote, but I mean, yeah. he he didn't have that feeling. The way he it was a you know an earlier. Yeah. From an earlier era. Bill was a great mayor for, for, for Greenville. No, no question in my mind. He was a good, and I served with him. Um, but he was very, it was all about economic development, and I am too. And, but he definitely was in every respect. That was his focus. But maybe he wasn't as sensitive to the quality of life aspects of people dealing with the growth that we were having as, as I was articulating, if you will, in the campaign. And again, I think that's kind of where Greenville is. Greenville's definitely a pro business town. Uh, we're all about economic development. But uh, at least in the city, we're very sensitive to how we grow. As a business town, that's one of the things. In, one of the things in the book that, it, that struck me is one of your consultants did an aerial photograph mm. of downtown and highlighted all of the high rises and said, "Business, but where are the people?" Right. And do you, you remember that particular? Yeah. Plan? Yeah. Exactly. And and that's you know that was kind of classic 1960s, 1970s. It was all about 
building the big towers or building a sports arena and all these kind of gimmicks. You talk about gimmicks. Those are, in one sense, that was a kind of gimmicks, too. It was all about everything but people. <laughs> and it was more non-traditional urban planning. Uh, today, it's conventional wisdom, but it was non-traditional then to focus on remembering that at the end of the day, a city is all about people. It's whether people choose to live there or not. It's not just about the shining office towers. It's not just about a place that operates from 9 to 5. It's about what happens after 5 o'clock and people choosing to live there or not. And um, it, that's kind of the secret ingredient, I guess, that we have going on here. Well, in walking down Main Street this afternoon uh, and talk about the kind of shops that are there, I was delighted to see a drugstore. Mm-hmm. Now you, that may not sound like a big deal. No, but I know, yeah, you got it. There's a Publix just around the corner, too, for groceries. Yeah. We, we, if we, you we, don't have those, you got to have a drugstore. You can have all the boutiques you want. You've got to have a grocery store uh, to, to, build, to serve the residential clientele yes. as well as guests and visitors. So good observation because we, we recruited CVS and they were happy yeah. to come, you know, kind of wait it out with us and do it. Mm-hmm. And the same for Publix. Those are just some of those necessities to build a, a good mixed-use environment. Well, once upon a time, all American cities were that way, and then they got progress. In the late 19th century America, developed suburbs uh, in places like Columbia. It was Eau Claire. It was Shandon, that kind of thing, uh, connected by trolley cars, Charlotte had all sorts of expansion, Myers Park, yeah. what have you. But it would definitely get worse in the 20th because then you had the car culture after the war and yeah. then you had the far out suburbs and, and you really began to create this sort of empty core of the old downtown, yes. the old city. Yes. The thing that had been started in the 19th century just got, everybody had their, they have their little piece of turf yeah. uh, and they had their automobile or two automobiles. Mm-hmm. Public transportation became a thing of the past. And that's one thing you now have on weekends free public transportation downtown, do you not? Well, we have the trolleys up and down the area, which we hope to expand. We have a trolley up and down Main Street and in some of the adjacent residential neighborhoods. We're trying to expand it to the other side of town now, too. You know, my, my feeling is that, you know, different people want different things. And so you try, as a city, you try to offer a little bit of everything. You offer an urban environment. You offer a more suburban alternative, if you will. Uh, but at the end of the day, you still need to be attentive to some common themes, that is green space and recreation. Uh, walkability even within the suburban context and I think that's something all cities are now dealing with is how to offer those same amenities even in a suburban context but we really start with the the urban alternative that we've created here. Well when you you deal with downtowns you've got to deal with with traffic. Another terrible idea from the 1970s prevalent all over the United States was they went crazy for you know wider streets and one-way streets and so in some major cities across the region you, you know you had throughways, if you will, going through their downtowns. Um, I went to Wake Forest, and Winston-Salem has a bad case of that, oh. for example. You just kind of cruise right through downtown. It doesn't help them. So a lot of cities are going back trying to recapture streets. Um, we're, we're doing the same thing here. Uh, we didn't, thankfully, have that many one-way streets to start with, thank goodness, but uh, we have a few that I wish were different. But we try to work around that, and um, we certainly don't do that kind of thing now. Mr. Mayor, we need to pause for a moment and let people know that this is Walter Edgar's journal, and I'm talking with Mayor Knox White of Greenville about downtown redevelopment and the book he co-authored, Reimagining Greenville. We've talked a lot about downtown and buildings, but one of the things that has happened in your time as mayor, and gosh, it's been almost 20 years, hasn't it? Well, 16. Don't, don't push it too much. <laughs> <laughs> you still have all your hair, and it's not gray. So. <laughs> not much. Not much. <laughs> and one of the things you've convinced people to do, and the leadership of the town has done, is mm-hmm. put the green in Greenville. And, of course, you began as a river city. Mm-hmm. Reedy River Falls yeah. is one of the reasons that, the, that Greenville is here. Exactly. But yeah. uh, in the late 1990s, you couldn't even see the falls. Yeah, this is really the greatest story for people from outside Greenville to, to understand when you come here. You'll see this beautiful downtown now, very integrated into the river and a beautiful park called Falls Park in the middle of it all. And again, all very walkable downtown. But just, uh, just a few years ago, uh, 10 years ago, uh, that was not the experience in Greenville. Uh, we have a river, the Reedy River, very modest river, I quickly add, uh, running through the middle of downtown. Uh, it's true, the, it also has a waterfall, I should, <laughs> the most distinguishing part. A lot of cities have rivers, but not many cities have 30-foot waterfalls in the middle of town, almost adjacent to Main Street. But the point is that Greenville didn't know we had this either for a long time. Um, the falls was the birthplace of Greenville. It's the reason we're here as a city. It's where the Cherokee Indians first traded with the Europeans. Uh, the first textile mills and mills 
began to uh, be uh, created along the banks of the Reedy River near the falls. So our whole history is down there. And the interesting thing about it is through the whole uh, 19th century and really into the 20th century, the waterfall and Reedy River was the most important thing about Greenville. It was the first place you took your friends and visitors. It was in all the postcards. It was kind of the preeminent thing about Greenville. And we have some wonderful pictures from 1905 and 1910 showing large crowds of people at the waterfall enjoying themselves. Furman University was located very, down there. Very proper young ladies in their Victorian dress. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, tipped, you know, stepping around the falls. It, it is. They're beautiful yeah, postcards. It the center of, it's where you went on Sunday afternoon. It's where you took visitors again. Um, and what happened was uh, the river over the early 20th century into the mid-20th century became polluted because textile mills and old dyeing plants and such dotted the, the river up and down the river for a couple of miles. And so by the 1940s, 1950s, uh, the Reedy River uh, was a pejorative term. Yeah, the river smelled bad. In fact, it was in one journal it's referred to as the river your nose knows. <laughs> and uh, it, every every bad thing you can think of was, was discussed in, term, in the context of Reedy River. Well, well, I can remember talking to to some kids who grew up in Greenville, and they talked about you could step in the river, and depending on what what fabric was being dyed, you might come out yellow or green or blue exactly. or red or whatever. The river changed colors. It really did. And people who grew up in Greenville thought that's the way all rivers <laughs> don't all rivers change colors. I mean, it was just something. It was a fact of life. So during the 1950s and so, the, the city turned its back on the river, like most American cities did. To the rivers. It's not unusual to Greenville, of course. And uh, the river area became, uh, it was polluted. It was. It didn't smell good. It was old. So you saw a lot of kudzu and warehouses and it was not a desirable place to go. So the, the uh, coup de grace, if you will, in 1960, uh, a four-lane highway bridge was placed directly on top of the waterfall. I mean, the very place that was the most historic part of the city, the very place that people were particularly proud of in most of our history, simply ceased to exist. They actually put foundation piers into right the fall. In the, right in the rocks of the, rock, the waterfall. Um, and so in 1960, Reedy River Falls disappeared. And a generation later, you know, 30 years later, um, where you kind of pick this story up now, most people in Greenville didn't even know we had a waterfall. It was in history books, and that was all. You simply didn't go there. It was kind of a dark and scary place, and the river was not a place you went to. So that's the that's the pretext, if you will, for for what, uh, what happens next, which is pretty remarkable. Yes, and of course, a big wide bridge like that became an attraction for homeless. Oh, yes. Uh, the whole area was very, yeah. it was kind of, it was a sketchy area and there were a lot of people hanging out. You didn't go down there. By the 1980s, the river was cleaner. Those dye plants that turned the river different colors no longer were there. Uh, the river maintained one uniform color. <laughs> Didn't smell like it used to. So people began to talk about the possibility of maybe reclaiming the river. And we had a group called, we have a group called the Carolina Foothills Garden Club. And that's Ms. Harriet White. Sure. Harriet White was president in 1967. 1967. And they began to kind of clean up under the bridge and around the waterfall. And they pulled the weeds and pushed back the kudzu. Uh, but more importantly, they, they had a vision even then of, of how, how great it would be if we had a park built around a waterfall and how special that could be. So for the next several decades, they worked down there and, and dreamed about this idea of a wonderful public garden around the waterfall. Uh, the point is, it, the vision of a public garden around the waterfall would never be achieved unless the bridge could be removed. Mm-hmm. It, an effort was made in the mid-'80s to remove the bridge, but it was uniformly rejected. And People talked about, you know, why would you take down a perfectly good bridge? That was the term everybody used, perfectly good bridge. Well, your, your co-author, and I'll quote him because uh-huh. it comes from the Greenville News, our friend Bill Workman, mm-hmm. and I think all but one member of city council said, why take down – it's too expensive. You can't take down a perfectly good bridge with four lanes of traffic. I mean, right. that's we – Right. We had – the discussion started. I mean, in fairness to my predecessor, he st- helped start the discussion about taking down the bridge. But people basically saw it as a, as a, as a loser issue. You didn't talk about it. It was going to be expensive, and it might disrupt traffic. Where would the cars go and all this and that? Um, but I was always drawn to history, number one. I have the history of the place. Uh, the beauty of the falls. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place, so close to Main Street. And uh, other thing that really, uh, gosh, Walter, the thing that really got me was I used to, when I came in as mayor, 
without and being intentional about this, when I had visitors from out of town, if you had visited me in my first year as mayor, I probably would have taken you to the waterfall. It was just one of those things I wanted people to see. And so I'd put you in a car and drive you down a, a very remote road at the time. Uh, under this dark and scary bridge and you would walk out and you would see the waterfall and, and chances are if you're not from Greenville, if you're not from Greenville, you would say, my gosh, I didn't know this was here. This is amazing. What, what's this bridge doing here? Mm-hmm. And it was the reaction of my friends and, and visitors, um, people I would take down there that really most impressed me. I mean, I, people uniformly were so amazed by the waterfall in our downtown and yet it was hidden away. And that really fortified me that that I need to do this as mayor, and and so I met with Harriet Weich and other members of the of the Garden Club, and we I said well, we're, I'm going to make this a priority as mayor, and we worked together for the next five years to make it a priority, and uh, and that book outlines some ups and downs along the way as we uh, well, launched I, I the think, campaign. Think, <laughs> Mr. Mayor, I think that's an interesting story because part of that gets to the fact that the Constitution and laws of South Carolina really don't give cities the complete home rule that they would. <laughs> they really ought to have, and we we right. won't get into that. But it's it's a fact, and you ran into the uh, issue of who owns this bridge. Exactly. Yeah. Let, let's get past the politics first, because mm-hmm. you had to get city council on board to decide that yes, you want to tear down the Camperdown Bridge. Yeah, we didn't have a, a uniform view on council. It was kind of up and down depending on the time of day in the beginning. So we really kind of started with uh, the Garden Club, with park planners working on this idea, and then we did face that first the the threshold issue was we didn't own the bridge the state highway department owned the bridge and until we could own the bridge we really couldn't talk about it so city council kind of was standing off on the side until we could establish ownership and uh, first things first and and this is where the garden clubs came in and played a crucial (laughs) role because a friend of mrs weish's was yeah we were going to harriet weish and i were planning to go to columbia to meet with the new what time at the time the new director of the highway commission highway department rather uh, betty mabry Mm -hmm. and uh, it was not a meeting we were looking forward to because we were going to be going to columbia saying hi we're from greenville uh, you, the highway department, owned a bridge, and we'd like to we'd like you to deed us the bridge so that we could tear it down. That was not something we. Were, you know, this was going to be hard. So, uh, in the meantime, I I ran into someone who just and this was a total random event. Now, who told me that um, a friend of mine in Greenville's sister Betty Mabry was new highway department director, and I said, Oh my goodness, that's the person we're going to see in a, in a week or two. And uh, I told this person about the project, and, and, and she informed me, she said, well, Betty Mabry is very active in Columbia Garden Club councils. Oh, my goodness, that could change everything. So I called up Harriet Weitz, and I said, Harriet, uh, do you know Betty Mabry, the person we're going to visit in Columbia? She's active in Garden Club councils. And, and Harriet said, oh, that Betty Mabry. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of us going to Columbia, Harriet invited Betty Mabry to come to Greenville. And she came to Greenville, and we took her down in that dark and scary place to see the waterfall under the State Highway Bridge. And she was instantly, like everybody else from outside was, she immediately said, you know, this is amazing. This is beautiful. What's it, what is this bridge doing here? And I remember one thing she said that was funny. She said, it's amazing to see this big concrete bridge, South Carolina Highway Department Bridge, built right on top of the most historic spot in Greenville. I mean, today, today we couldn't build a bridge like this anywhere you know, a mile away from a salamander. Uh, <laughs> I guess the snail darter controversy is what you referred to, the snail darter. But anyway, uh, she was astounded. But she became, in all seriousness, she became a, a great ally in our effort to work through the State Highway Department and the commission. Uh, Virginia Aldrich, founder of the Governor's School for the Arts, mm-hmm. uh, was a big proponent, too, and with her help, gathering up support from legislators. We brought David Beasley, the then governor, mm-hmm. to the site to see it. And um, David Beasley had been to Greenville, I can imagine, a hundred times as governor and campaigning and all, but he had never seen the waterfall, of course, and he was amazed and astounded and, and said so. said, you know, you, you, y'all, you got to find a way to move this bridge. And long and short, we did. The highway department, uh, a few months later, we had a vote, and they did deed to the city the bridge. And then you tore it down. Then the hard – well, the hard work began. (laughs) (laughs) Now we had to convince the city council and convince the public. Mm. And uh, and that's what the book talks about because that that was the hard part. You know, I thought thought the state would be the hard part, but actually we're still our own citizens because, again, most people who lived in Greenville all their lives had never seen the waterfall. And – had hardly ever seen the, the, the river. So it made it really difficult. I, I understood that better in retrospect than I did at the time. Uh, letters to the editor at the time were almost uniformly up in opposition. 
was always about why would the city tear down the perfectly good bridge and what a crazy idea this was. Um, we had a had an incident, for example, a downtown church delegation came to see me one time with a big petition, big petition of names, and the petition said something to the effect, of, please don't, Mr. Mayor, please don't take down the Camperdown Bridge. That's the name of the bridge, the Camperdown Bridge. Please don't take down the Camperdown Bridge because if you do so, how would we get to Sunday school? And uh, so this was getting real personal, you know. Uh, people just didn't get it at all. And I even had one member of city council who had been vehemently against taking down the bridge. He came to see me. He said he was kind of beginning to change his mind about the park and all, but wanted to discuss with me a new idea. And he came in my office and he said, um, he said, I think instead of taking down the bridge, I have a better idea. I think we should move the waterfall. And I said, wait a minute, move the waterfall. (laughs) I sat there with a perfectly straight face and I said, well, how do you intend to do that? He said, dynamite. (laughs) And I kept a straight face and he walked out of my office and I just thought, man, this is going to be so hard. This is just getting in the crazy season. Um, But we had a lot of um, comments like that about doing different things. But, but But underlying it all, to be fair about it, is most people hadn't seen the waterfall. They just couldn't appreciate it. And it really wasn't until we began to show a wonderful vision, thanks to the Garden Club again, a wonderful vision of what the park was going to look like. A beautiful park and public garden in the center of the city, adjacent to Main Street, highlighted by a -a one-of-a-kind waterfall with a pedestrian suspension bridge that you see now Mm -hmm. over the waterfall. We we finally got that image out in the newspaper, in the Greenville News, in the Greenville Journal. Uh, People began to sort of split on it and say, well, you know, maybe this isn't about the bridge. It's really about the park. And, and that you, was the, that was the opening. And I you had. also had some really interesting statistics. The the traffic density study. There were fewer people using the bridge. Oh yeah, half the people using but, the bridge than they had been when it was built. I mean, it was no longer the major connector that everybody the, thought it was. But the prevailing wisdom was the bridge had a lot of traffic, and where would people go? How would they get to Sunday school? <laughs> Whatever else, it was hard to no matter what numbers you threw out with people. We we took a photograph of here's a picture of the Camperdown Bridge on Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock just a random Tuesday, and I thought it would conv- – it was like one car was on the bridge, one car. I showed that at one particular meeting. I remember they started people started booing because they thought the picture was – you know, we, we, had, <laughs> we had a doctor to decide, you know, well, this isn't working. So, But uh, anyway, we, we did have some city council elections, frankly, and some new people came on city council who had, a, I think, a greater conviction about the importance of doing this because it was a bold step. And uh, long and short is we, we finally had the vote in um, 2002, I think it was. And we voted to take down the bridge. I think it's still fair to say that even for the next year or two when it was under construction, most people in Greenville really didn't know what we were doing behind that big fence downtown, didn't know what was going on in there. It probably wasn't really until the park opened and people came down in droves and saw that waterfall and saw that pedestrian bridge. Made Again, a adjacent to Main Street and... People say, Greenville, a, a tourist attraction? It is. And that's documented by your Chamber of Commerce through who's staying at the hotels. Even people, you know, in-state, it's now a tourist destination. We're getting a lot of weekend weekend getaways from Atlanta and Charlotte uh, because of the restaurants and the shops and the walkability of the downtown. And, of course, the park is, is the big game changer, I think. I mean, after the park, for the last couple years now, the park opened in 2004. So since 2004, yeah, the tourism, the visitors, the visits from other cities to see our downtown redevelopment, that's when it all changed. It all changed then. Uh, I can actually remember the first time I saw people walking around with cameras taking pictures of our downtown, and now it's so commonplace. It's, you see it all the time. But, but, the, but the big game changer, I still think, is Falls Park. And right after the park, we immediately had reinvestment in the area. We, we spent about $13 million to build the park, hospitality tax money, $13 million. And within two years, we had about 150 million. And you had a tax incentive district, right? A TIF. We have a TIF for the whole downtown, but for the park, we only use hospitality oh, okay. uh, as a tourism-related project, which it certainly is. And it created this wonderful infrastructure now in the West End, where again about 150 million dollars of new investment in the West End. That's hotels, restaurants, shop stores, condominiums, offices. Everything you see down there now is all new since the since the park. 
and near Main Street, you've got also quite a, a burgeoning art community. I don't want to call it a new Bohemia, that mm-hmm. just because it's not Bohemian, it's not hippie, it's, but it's an artist's community that is built up around the new downtown Greenville. Well, we're always putting a great emphasis on the arts, and we have this wonderful festival called Artisphere, which uh, folks should check out in the spring. Uh, we try to do it with a great deal of quality and brings in artists from all of the country. But also, throughout the downtown, you'll see artist studios uh, that are subsidized. We, uh, we actually incorporate artist studios in our parking garages. And that's what you see at River Place, uh, just down from the waterfall. You'll see a wonderful colony of artists, and those are actually part, they're actually in, in a properties that are part of the parking garage, though you wouldn't know it. It doesn't look that way, but that's what those properties yeah. actually are. One of the things that intrigued me in, in reading the book is the fact that you, as mayor of the city, are open to ideas, even if a teenager comes into your office and says, <laughs> I want to put bronze mice yeah. <laughs> on Main Street. Right. Now, I mean, that's a neat story. Well, thank you. It taught me a lesson. I, you're going back in the early days of my mayor being mayor. But you know, the great thing about being mayor you, is, is it can be a very creative process, and that's what I enjoy about it. But but I learned some early lessons, and one is you never know where good ideas will come from. Now, I'll quickly say I've, I've been the recipient of a lot of bad ideas, too. <laughs> but you never know where they may come from. And one of the most successful art projects we have in downtown Greenville is a little thing called Mice on Main which you have to just come see to believe because it's enormously popular with children and people of all ages, really. And people look for these bronze mice all over Main Street. And that was a project by a uh, 17-year-old student at Christchurch School who uh, did come to me when I was early on when I was mayor. And he had this idea, putting bronze mice on Main. And he was short on cash and needed the city's permission also and some issues there. And uh, it struck a chord with me. I was very impressed from an, just from an artistic standpoint and from a technical standpoint, he, how much he knew about the bronzing process. It blew me away. He knew all about the bronzing process and how you go from step one, about five different steps. And uh, he had a good, uh, good idea. So anyway, I did help him out. And today it's one of the most successful projects and really begat a whole array of, of interesting and fun art projects throughout the downtown. But it did teach me early on an important lesson about well, and of course being open to that. I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blank now on the children's book, but it has something to do with Good about, Night goodbye, Moon. Goodbye Moon. Yeah, Good Night Moon. Good Night yeah. Moon, uh-huh. uh, which I have read to my my children yeah. and, and my yeah. grandchildren. Apparently, his mom read it to him, and <laughs> he was desperately looking for a new for a senior project. And I think his mother actually suggested that book and that theme. And um, but I was happy to help him out. And we now have a lot well, of sculpture and art in downtown. Well, today, if a family comes to downtown Main Street in Greenville and they want to, the children want to find the, the mice. It's like doing a scavenger hunt. There are clues in different stores on Main Street, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a little scavenger hunt. And um, that's the great thing about our downtown now, though. It, it, there's just something to do for every, every, we have every age group downtown, uh, especially on the weekends, on Sunday afternoon, Saturday, Friday night, all different ages, including kids, because there's a lot of stuff for them to do. There's a lot of tea houses and the downtown's full of coffee houses and the beautiful park. So middle school kids, high school kids are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so are the grown-ups and people eating in the fine restaurants and everything else. It's just a wonderful mix. Well, this has been an evolving story, so let me ask you, what's next? <laughs> well, I, I personally think uh, our best opportunity is to go with our, our greatest brand, which is the river. Uh, the river is now becoming our brand as a city, and the waterfall is so unique and receiving so much wonderful attention. We do have an opportunity to continue to build up the river, more green space, more parkland, if you will. Mm-hmm. We have this wonderful bike and walking trail system called the Swamp Rabbit Trail mm-hmm. in coordination with the county. You know, you can actually go from downtown Greenville all the way up to Furman University and to Traveler's Rest, about 12 miles. It's, it's all bike and walking trail. It's very popular. It's mainly flat. You can Anybody any age can ride the oh, Swamp okay. Rabbit Trail. It's all flat all the way up to Traveler's Rest. And it concludes right in the middle, or begins, however you want to start it, in the middle of downtown Greenville. So it's quite unique. And so we're continuing to build along the river, bike and walking paths, parks. And I think that's going to be our greatest opportunity. Okay. Obviously, you're going to continue the public-private partnership that's been going on here for now a quarter of a century. Yeah, everything we do, our philosophy is one of redevelopment, building green space, uh, walkability, focus on the pedestrian, and our way of doing that is working with the private sector. We're, we're a public-private partnership by culture. Um, we work with the private sector to make things happen. You see that in the One Project and the Hyatt renovation, what's going on now in downtown Greenville. You'll continue to see that. We think uh, in keeping the area business-friendly, 
development friendly is a good thing. But at the end of the day, we always know what we want. I mean, if you're a private developer and you come to downtown Greenville, the last thing you want to do is to screw it up. <laughs> so, you know, well, we, we set some rules. You, we you, don't, set want, some you rules. don't want to put aluminum siding on the front right. of the old Chamber of Commerce building. Right. Uh, and most people are very, to be honest, most people are very respectful of that. So as we look at downtown today, we have about four or five new hotels that are coming to downtown in 2014. We have a lot of apartments under construction. And one thing all of these developments have in common, they have some element of public-private partnership and I think a lot of respect for what we've already accomplished and what we want to do in the future. Well, Greenville's gone from textile town to business town, and you've got BMW next door. What else is in the future? Well, you make a good point, though, that our success in downtown is intricately tied to the larger economy of this area. I mean, that's the wind under our wings for sure. Uh, Greenville is blessed with a very diversified economy, floor, General Electric, Michelin, BMW, countless automotive suppliers, a strong startup business culture uh, that's very, very strong here and very tied now to downtown Greenville. Uh, But all that is what's making possible what we can do in downtown, and we're very much aware of that. So we do our part. I think one of the biggest surprises for the economy, the upstate, for the county, for the region, is how downtown Greenville itself is a major attraction. It, it helps attract businesses and, more importantly, helps attract people to our region who would never otherwise come here. They see downtown Greenville, they see Falls Park, and they make decision to move here from Chicago, move here from Austin, move here from Portland. Uh, it happens all the time. Well, one of the things I'm sure that's been sort of a land net, yep, a nice little extra is the great philanthropic thrust that there is in this town. There's a tremendous amount of community concern and interest and involvement by individuals, not just with the civic action, but also with writing the checks. It's very true. There's definitely a culture here about a couple things. One, there's a culture of redevelopment that doesn't exist everywhere, about fixing things that are broken, not leaving neighborhoods behind. Let's, Let's fix this up. Let's redevelop. There's a culture of, of partnership, um, public-private partnerships, where people do their part. And, and that perhaps, if you dig into it, you know, the, what's down there at the root, I think what you see is just a very philanthropic attitude, too, of helping do things, whether it's in the United Way or support for the arts, which is tremendous. We have great, you know, I mentioned the Artosphere Festival, that the tremendous, the Artosphere Festival is a spring arts festival for three days, and it makes money. It actually makes money. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes out with a surplus every year, but it has strong private uh, support from businesses in this town and uh, that's absolutely one of the great things about Greenville and it's rooted in, in people's attitudes mm-hmm. well Mr. Mayor Alfred is giving us the wind up sign any last words you'd have for our listeners before we sign off today well just that uh, if you haven't been up here in a while you might want to check it out it, uh, we have signs around our downtown they don't say welcome to downtown they say enjoy downtown Greenville and that really is a like everything else in downtown that's intentional (laughs) everything we do is very intentional here to uh, create an atmosphere where people can come here and really enjoy it and that's what it's all about all right mayor knox white thanks so much for being with us today on the journal my pleasure this is walter edgar and i hope you enjoyed today's journal I enjoyed my conversation with Mayor Knox White, and I also enjoyed walking the main street of Greenville and seeing how this textile town in the upstate of South Carolina has been transformed into one of the most attractive urban areas, not just in the region, but in the country. And that's not local observation. That is the observation of people who know about urban planning. And the secret is people, not buildings. Buildings are important, but attracting people and keeping them in a mixed-use setting is what has made Greenville today what it is. This is Walter Edgar. Join me next week for more of The Journal. Production of today's episode of Walter Edgar's Journal was made possible in part by a grant from the Jolly Foundation. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on Walter Edgar's journal are their own and are not necessarily those of South Carolina ETV Radio.